You are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note, the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. We are back in front of the microphones for one last episode of our introductory season. And this week, we're going to be talking about investing. What is it, what the Bible says about it, and how to do it wisely. Now, investing is a huge topic and one which we'll come back to again and again. So we're only going to scratch the surface in today's episode. So, Simon, can you start by telling us a little bit about why this topic of investing is so important? Surely this isn't something that we need to know about until we have loads of money. And also, how does investing differ from savings? Okay, at the very outset, I'm going to suggest that almost every listener to this podcast is probably already investing. They might just not see it as that. And we'll get to that later. But in the meantime, I think there's a very good reason why people need to understand and get involved in investing. And to demonstrate that, I'm going to use a parable, actually, from the book of Matthew and in chapter 25. It's often known as the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold. And it demonstrates how God expects us to put our gifts to work for him. So in the parable, the master gives his servants bags of gold, talents. Uh, The two good and faithful servants put their money to work and they gain more as a result, which they hand back to the master. But the wicked, lazy servant was afraid and he hid his bag of gold in the ground before eventually returning it to his master. And the master's response is this. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So remember that factor. Money is a tool. It needs to be put to work. Every pound we have should have a purpose. And once you identify what that purpose is, you can then decide what to do with your money to fulfill that purpose. And that might include investing it. In the context of that parable, putting money in the bank would have been better than letting it sit in the ground, getting interest. Now, that would be saving. Put it in the bank, get some interest, saving the money. Whereas putting it to work to get a greater return, that would be investing it. So is that as simple as it gets? Saving is putting money in the bank and investing is everything else. Not quite, I suppose. And there are other things you can do with money that aren't saving or investing. Fundamentally, you can spend money, you can give it away, or another option, you can gamble it, which isn't really saving or investing. Ultimately, the only things you should really do with money in the long term is to spend it or to give it away. Saving and investing, those are just kind of holding grounds for your money until you, well, spend it or give it away later on. And ultimately, when you die, you're going to give it all away anyway. And then actually gambling is the least good thing you can do with your money. And you'll see later on, there are some elements of investing that can be mistaken uh, and are actually gambling. So investing and saving are holding grounds until you spend or give away. So before we get into some of the detail of investing, can you give us a bit of biblical context around investing? 
I'm not sure I could point to a specific verse, but I get the feeling that this pursuit of gain isn't entirely in line with God's will for our lives. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Bex. Money is one of the primary obstacles of faith, shall we say. Remember when Jesus says this, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So money is a problem. And we kind of know that. And then there are these very well-known verses from 1 Timothy 6, or at least part of it is very well known. It says this, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow, listen to that. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So Paul definitely didn't mince his words there. It seems very clear that the love of money is to be avoided at all costs. But is investing the same thing? If we are investing or we loving money, is it always wrong to want more money? No, I'd say it's not always wrong. Consider this verse that comes just a little bit later in 1 Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, the Bible doesn't say that everybody should sell everything you have and give to the poor, which is actually what Jesus does say to the rich young ruler. Consider what happens in Acts 4. Uh, it says this, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. You see, not every believer sold everything they had straight away. I believe that God enables and calls some of his followers to create wealth so that it can be used in the future for his purposes. So would that then be the only justification for making money to give it to God? Maybe not the only justification. The Bible does say there are other good reasons to make money to provide for our families, for example, both now, but also in the future. And the Bible speaks quite a lot about leaving inheritances. And it speaks of a parallel, actually, of the inheritance we get from God, which is obviously much more than money. And I think that would be my crucial message about money. Money should never, ever take the place of God in our lives. Never pursue money at the expense of pursuing God. Okay, so let's now move from the theological perspective of money and investing to some more practical topics. You mentioned earlier that we should put our money to work, but what does that actually look like? I can't really send my cash out to go and get a job, can I? Well, oddly enough, that's almost exactly what you do do with money. And in fact, it's something that you need to do with your money. 
I'm going to try and create this framework for understanding how you can and why you should put your money to work. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, we're going to start way off topic with inflation, right? Inflation is this word that actually right now we're hearing a lot more about. Um, at the time we're recording this, inflation is getting high really quickly for the, for the first time in a long time, actually. Inflation is a word that describes how the cost of products and services that we buy go up over time. So let me give you an example. Now, I remember uh, I passed my driving test in 1994. So you can kind of take a guess at how old I am. And at the time, the average cost of a litre of petrol was 48.9 pence. I remember it becoming 50, 50p a litre. That was a big deal. As of recording today, the average cost of a litre of petrol is now about £1.85. And it's still rising. That's almost four times as much as the cost was admittedly, you know, almost 30 years ago. So if I'd set enough money aside in 1994 to buy myself a litre of petrol, now it would only buy me a quarter of a litre of petrol. It wouldn't get me very far. What that shows me is that money has gone down in value. Money can't buy me as much as it used to. And by saving and by investing, we are trying to get our money to keep its real value over time. It needs to grow just to be able to buy the same amount of stuff. Okay, so we start with inflation. Where do we go from there? We're next going to go straight into bank accounts. Having money in a bank or a building society is, is the first step. The money is easily accessible. It can be used to pay the bills. It's generally pretty safe. But that safety and convenience comes at a price. And the price is that bank accounts don't usually, certainly not in recent years, pay enough interest to keep up with inflation, that cost of living rise. And can you give us a quick explanation of why banks even pay us interest? I mean, shouldn't we be paying them to look after our money for us? Uh, yeah. And, and actually, some banks do charge for the privilege of us looking after their money. But in general, when you put your money in the bank, they don't just sit on it and it does nothing. In fact, the banks are constantly putting your money to work. So they take your savings, the money you've given them, and they add it to lots of other people's savings. And then they typically lend it out. They lend it to people for things like car loans and mortgages and overdrafts, and they charge interest to the borrower. Now, some of that interest actually comes back to you. That's your reward for having let the bank use your money. But there's a margin. There always is a margin. And that's what the bank keeps. And it covers their costs, the cost of running banking services for you. And of course, they're trying to make some profit for their shareholders. Shareholders is a very interesting word. And I suspect it's going to be quite crucial to the theme of investing. So can you explain what that means, please? Sure. So the majority of big companies in the world, they're not owned by just one individual or even by members of just one family. They're owned by shareholders. Let's take an example. Apple It's one of the biggest companies in the world. At the moment, there are something like 16 billion shares in Apple 
on the market effectively. Now, at the time we're recording this, you could buy one share in Apple and it would cost you about $130. Now, that means if you multiply $130 by 16 billion shares, if you wanted to completely own all of Apple, it would cost you more than $2 trillion. Now, even the world's richest person couldn't buy a tenth of Apple. So the advantage of having shares, and in this case, lots of shares, is that you don't need to have $2 trillion to go and buy all of Apple. In fact, you don't even need to have $130 to buy one share in Apple. You can actually start investing with a whole lot less money than that and then let it grow over time. This feels like we're getting to the crux of the issue. But you mentioned at the very start of this episode that most of our listeners are probably investing, but maybe don't realize it. Can you explain that to me? So the reason I said that is because most of our listeners will already have some money invested, maybe not actually directly in shares of companies like Apple, but, and I'm thinking here, probably through their pension. Now, I can say that because in a a recent survey I saw in the UK, about 79% of the working population are members of their company pension scheme. And a pension is simply a kind of investment, an investment with certain tax rules that go around it. In very brief terms, there are two kinds of pension, defined benefit and defined contribution. Now, a defined benefit pension, sometimes it's called a final salary pension or a career average pension. If you're a teacher, or a doctor, or work for the police, or local government, that's the kind of pension that you're in. You have actually no control over the money in the pension. There might actually not even be any money in the pension. You get paid out of tax. That's a conversation for another day. But for most members of pension schemes, they're not in that kind of pension. They are in defined contribution pensions. And that's where you as the member, the employee, put some money into your pension, and your employer puts some money in as well. It gets added to a central pot, and that pot of money is invested effectively on your behalf. And so this is where the investing comes in. People get to choose how their money is invested. Yeah, they do have that choice. However, in my experience, most people never engage in the process because they think it's too complex. And to be honest, they're usually right. The whole financial services system has been built up over time to the point where it almost takes an expert like me to help people navigate it. So here goes. Let's see if we can give some guidance to help people do as much of the job as they can themselves. What do people need to know about investing, whether it's in a pension or in some other kind of investment vehicle, shall we say? Right. Number one, asset classes. Now, this is a term that describes different kinds of investments. So, for example, cash. Cash is a kind of investment. You put it in a bank and you get interest. Therefore, it's one of the classes of assets you can invest in. Shares, we've spoken about, is another one. Now, when you invest in shares, you own a small portion of the company that you hold the shares in. And so what you're hoping is that the value of the company goes up and therefore the value of your shares goes up. But also, if the company makes profits, you get a share of those profits. So that's called dividends. So we've got cash, we've got shares. 
The third asset class is property. Property is a kind of investment. Now, I'm not talking just about the home that you live in. It's if you buy another property, which some people can afford to do, or if you invest in a collective property, you don't own the whole lot. It's like having shares in a property. Now, in that case, again, you're hoping the value of the property goes up. And so the value of your portion of it goes up. But also, if that's being rented out, that property, you're entitled to a share of the rent. So you can see here, we've got some situations where you're receiving income, the interest, the dividends, the rent, and some cases where you're getting growth of the underlying value, increase in share price, increase in property price. Now, there are some other asset classes, bonds, and often they're called corporate bonds. And these are loans. They're loans to companies or they're loans to governments. If it's a loan to a government, it's actually called a gilt. And in this situation, you lend them money. Now, it might be over the short term, a month or three months, or it could be over the long term, 20 years, 30 years. And then that company, that government is obliged to pay you interest for borrowing your money. And they'll keep paying that interest every year, every year, until eventually the bond comes to an end and they repay the loan. So generally a bit safer than investing in shares. However, you can actually trade bonds as well not wait until the end of the term, you could sell that bond on to somebody else, sometimes for a profit, sometimes for a loss. And then I'll very briefly mention a few other asset classes that I'm generally going to steer people away from. Commodities, cryptocurrencies, peer-to-peer lending. And the reason I'm going to suggest you steer clear of them is because these fall more into the category of speculation and not of investment. But more about that another day. So that's the first of many parts of this framework, asset classes. The second part of the framework is something I'm going to call tax wrappers. Now, a tax wrapper, I've mentioned briefly, for example, in the area of pensions, how there are certain tax rules that go around your investment. And that's what a tax wrapper is, a set of rules that deem how your money is to be treated. So, for example, let's take money in the bank. You have lots of money in the bank and you earn interest. Now, the first £1,000 of that interest for a basic rate taxpayer is tax-free. That's a nice benefit the government gives us. But beyond that, you have to pay tax on the interest. The simple way around that is to put your cash into an ISA. An ISA stands for an individual savings account. And if your money is in an ISA, you'll never pay tax on it. It's designed to be a tax-free investment vehicle, but therefore the government limits how much you can put into your ISA. Not just cash can go into an ISA, you can also put shares, for example, or bonds into an ISA. Now, actually, the current limit on ISAs, any individual in the UK, any adult in the UK, can put £20,000 per year into an ISA to get tax-free savings. Now, that is more than the vast majority of the population ever need because they can't afford to put £20,000 a year aside. And then you've got the pension, another kind of tax wrapper. When you put money into a pension, you actually get given back any tax that you have paid. Or if you put your money straight from your earnings into a pension, you might never pay tax on it in the first place. So actually, it's the most tax efficient way of putting money aside. But it comes with a challenge, which is you can't get that money out again 
until you retire, which could be beyond age 55. I'm going to make a very wee note here. If anybody has ever been offered through their employer something called salary exchange or salary sacrifice, it is the most efficient way of getting money into your pension. You don't just get the tax back, you also get the national insurance back. And that's well worth doing. Now, there are a few other mainstream tax wrappers, things like general investment accounts or investment bonds, and then a few more specialist tax wrappers, enterprise investment schemes and venture capital trusts. But these are more than most people will ever need. A pension and an ISA will do most people perfectly well for the whole of their lifetime. Wow, there is a lot to think about, and I can see why a lot of people find it so complex. And there are still a few other topics to get through today, Bex. So let's try and wrap up with a few more. Investment funds. So within a pension or within an ISA, if you get to that stage, the most efficient way of investing is usually through a fund. So if you've joined your company's defined contribution pension scheme, you will have been offered a default fund. It's been chosen for you. And a fund is where you collect lots of people's money together. And then that pot of money is used to buy lots of different shares and bonds, for example. And that makes it much more cost efficient. It also means that you can diversify your investments far more widely. And diversification is a really good way of reducing risk. In fact, it's so good, it is even mentioned in the Bible. Way back in the book of Ecclesiastes 11, go and dig that one out. An investment advice from Ecclesiastes there. The next factor we're going to talk about is risk. Now, the very simplest explanation is this. A higher risk investment has the potential to give you a higher return over the long term, but it also has the higher risk of going down in value over the short term. Now, if you get to invest in a well-diversified investment fund, so it's invested in lots of different shares and bonds, And here you're looking to invest across the whole world, not just in the UK. That's not very diverse across dozens of countries. Then you're spreading your risk across hundreds or even thousands of different companies. If you hold shares in just one company at a time, then you massively increase your risk. You might make a lot of money, but you can also lose a lot. So spreading risk increases diversification and it reduces risk whilst giving you the same average long-term returns. So look at investment fund, well-diversified, reducing risk, depending on your time scale. Now, here's the next factor, time. Time can work in your favor. If you're in your 20s and you're putting money into your pension, well, you can't get that money out for maybe 30 years. And it might be 40, 50, or even 60 years until some of that money you take out to live off. Now, over that really long time scale, you can afford to take quite high levels of risk now because short term falls don't affect you. What you want is long term, average, higher returns, higher growth. But if you're planning on retiring next year or if you're setting money aside to buy a house in a couple of years, well, then you can't afford sudden large drops in the value of your investment which do happen from time to time and will continue to happen from time to time. So a shorter time horizon means you should take less investment risk. And that would generally mean don't invest quite so much in shares, invest more in bonds, which are the safer element when it comes to investing. 
I'm going to give you one more Bex before I stop talking at this point. The final key factor is this cost. When you invest in a fund, you're paying a fund manager a fee to manage your money. When you invest in a tax wrapper like a pension or an ISA, you're paying a provider, an administrator, a fee to manage your money. If you can keep those two costs as low as possible, you will get to keep more of your own money, more of the growth. Now, don't believe the hype that expensive funds are worth paying for. There is no evidence systematically that expensive funds are worth paying for, but there is lots of evidence that low cost, well diversified, even index funds, which buy into a whole marketplace like the UK FTSE index, they're the best investment solutions for most people. Well, Simon, it sounds like you've just given us the perfect set of topics that we can pick up in our next season. Alongside the life stages season, we can begin to unpack some of the detail of asset classes, tax wrappers and investment funds. I mean, Bex, I've spent now over 20 years of my life learning this stuff and helping others to understand it too. So I reckon I can more than fill a season on those key elements of investing wisely. I am so looking forward to hearing your expert wisdom on the subject. Thank you, Simon. And so this wraps up season one of the Where Your Treasure Is podcast, and we'll be back after the summer for two more seasons. But if you have any specific questions or topics that you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch by emailing whereyourtreasureis at freerangepodcasting.co.uk or via our Instagram, whereyourtreasureispodcast. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go.